Grace be unto you, peace from God our Father and from our dear Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, who is about to begin his journey to Jerusalem to suffer, to die, but on the third day to be raised again. Our text, these words of uh, Jesus to Peter, after Peter has confessed him to be the Christ, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Here ends our text. We began our worship this morning with these words. I remember them a little bit better from the old hymnal. Let us ever walk with Jesus, follow his example pure. Flee the world which would deceive us and to sin our soul's allure. Ever in his footsteps treading, body here yet soul above, full of faith and hope and love. Let us do the Father's bidding. Faithful Lord, abide with me. Savior, lead. I follow thee. That word, follow, what exactly does that mean? As simple as it might sound. Yesterday I was visiting my son and my grandchildren up in the Chicago area and we were of course doing the grandparent thing and having to go to various athletic things that were going on in that day. So we piled into the car, he piled into his car and wherever he drove I followed. As simple as that might be. We haven't gotten much snow but there's nothing like the example of a big snowstorm with lots of snow when you're following your parents as a little kid and you're trying to be able to get that one foot in the hole where the foot in front has gone and to be able to step in exactly the same place as the person who is in front of you. That's kind of what following is, to walk in somebody else's footsteps. When I was at the seminary, there, of course, were always those certain profs that spoke to you and somehow the way that they would present a text or the way in which that they would bring forth and elucidate these teachings of Christ or the way that they would explain the gospel text made you want to follow them, their example, doing teaching in the same way that they did. All of these are certain types of following and it is here that Jesus asks us to follow after him. By following, we could probably take the example of Peter, who is called upon to say, well, who do men say that I am, and who do you say that I am? Peter so boldly steps up, speaks for the whole group. You are the Christ. You're going to be the Savior of the whole world. You're the incarnate deity confess it, to speak it, to proclaim it, as Christ himself did. That's following. 
Following, if we think of what it's like to follow those steps, to go behind somebody when they're walking, to follow after a car that's in front of us, we see Jesus coming into this world in humility, lowly, not making himself out to be some great person in the eyes of the world, rather coming lowly, humbly, without any attempt to try to gain the acclaim of men, going to the waters of baptism, being baptized as he is inviting us to do, going out into the wilderness facing temptation with the word of God. This is following Christ that we would do the same. To follow in those footsteps leading us sometimes in a direction that we do not necessarily want to go. Yeah, um, sometimes those big footprints in the snowstorm lead us to places that we think we don't want to go, but we are willing to go because that's where the one who's gone in front of us has gone, and Jesus tells us that he was on his way to a cross. And he invites each and every one of us as Christians to be aware of where it is that that cross leads us. What is it that prevents us from wanting to follow after Jesus? Well, we all know what happened with Peter and his confession, don't we? As Peter stood there before all his disciples, he could so boldly confess him to be the Christ but when he was in a courtyard full of people who may not have welcomed that as good news, he denied him three times. Jesus kept saying this over and over to his disciples within a matter just of a few chapters here. In chapter 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law and must be killed. If you think the establishment is going to embrace your Christianity, don't think so. Jesus said in 9.24, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And in chapter 9, verse 44, listen carefully, he said, to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. And then the text goes on and says, but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. So they did not grasp it. Why? Why is it we can talk until we're blue in the face about how it is that there are crosses that come with being a Christian? And we don't grasp it because when the crosses come, we say this is unfair. Christianity is no good. It doesn't pay off. It doesn't seem to make my life any better. And we don't stop to realize what those words mean. What is it that I want? And what does it mean, therefore, to deny myself of these things? Well, in part, it is what it is that Peter saw when he went up on that Mount of Transfiguration, which we'll speak about next week. Oh, to go up there and to finally see Jesus in his glory, and of course, glory means that one can now build a tabernacle, a tent, 
not just for Jesus or Moses, but for me too. I can be glorious in the eyes of the world. That's what we somehow think, that maybe we can prosper, we can be richer, we can be more happy if we could just but follow Jesus and the glory would be there. Well, his disciples, right after he came down the mountain, their first argument is about who is the greatest. That's what we want, isn't it? We want to be great. We want to leave a legacy behind. We want to be able to make sure that that cemetery has got a great big tombstone that everybody's going to come and visit because we're great people. When that greatness gets challenged, suddenly we're beginning to wonder why it is that we've been following Jesus at all. Of course, the Samaritans, you know, while Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, the, the Samaritans didn't accept Jesus. They had, they had actually rejected him, and the disciples want to call down fire from heaven. Give me some power to be able to take care of my enemies. Let me show people who is boss around here. And Jesus doesn't give them that power, does he? And so when we find ourselves wondering why it is that God doesn't give us the strength or the power to be able to overcome our enemies in our life, we begin to wonder whether or not this faith is really worth it at all. Then, of course, there's that story about those people who Jesus calls to follow him. And they say, well, let me first go take care of some of this business that I've got to take care of, and then maybe I'll follow you. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're Christians, all right, as, as long as it fits into our schedule. Yeah, we'll sacrifice Jesus as long as it doesn't quite interfere with what it is that we really want to do. You see how it is that the flesh fights so much against this idea that we're going to take up a cross and follow after Jesus. And then Jesus really lays it on us. This isn't a fight that's going to happen once here, 10 years later, 15 years from now, 25 years when we're watching our little grandchildren crawling up our knees. He says, you've got to take up that cross daily. Every single day, it's going to be a cross. Every day to turn and to face that sinful nature that wants all the wrong things, that looks for the greatness, that sinful nature that wants to be able to live for ourselves, that sinful nature that wants to be able to secure our life in the material things of this world. Every day, every day, that has to be put to death. And that is not something that we like. It is not something that we want to do. It is a part of what it means to follow after Christ. Yeah, the daily battle wages on. You know, I was up there in northern Minnesota on the edge of Lake Superior. And of course, today, if you ever bought any of that land along the edge of Lake Superior, you'd be a rich person because it's prime recreation land. But back in the old days, 
when those Norwegian fishermen were coming over from Norway, they got 50 acres if they'd come over and live on the property and live, stay there. And of course, the only way to be able to support themselves was that they had to go out on Lake Superior every day and fish. And when the weather was raging and the storm was building and those waves were huge and it was cold and it was nasty, every single time that that fisherman got into the boat, he had to remember that his survival depended upon going out every single day and letting down his nets to go fishing. And if it was nice, he went out. And if it was nasty, he went out. And what he gave us was an example of what it's like to be a Christian. Every single day we get up and we go out on that lake of life and we throw out our nets and we confess and we walk with Jesus no matter what the price, no matter what the cost. Jesus said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will save it. There's a Disney movie, I think they call it Frozen. And it's amazing, the most popular song that kids are singing up and down, Let It Go. That is to say, something there about this idea that if we could let go of our desire for greatness, our desire for power, our desire for convenience. And if we could let that go out of our hand, let it loose, that somehow it comes back to us in far greater measure than what it is that we have let go. Foul. That word follow means to let it go. And yet, where are we following to if we let it go? Jesus says it just in one little short sentence. It's the best thing possible because you don't need paragraphs and paragraphs about this. Sometimes the greatest things in the whole world are little, short just a few words. He said, and on the third day be raised to life. Through that cross, through that suffering, through that denial, through that realization that Christianity is not this little cakewalk, through whatever seems to be lost in this world, Look at what it is that's waiting for us on the other side. And then the third day to be raised to life again. It says in the book of Hebrews, perhaps even more profoundly, when Christ came as high priest of the things that are already here, he went through the greater and the more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his blood, having obtained eternal redemption. That means he bought us in that cross with his blood 
for eternity, eternity. For this reason, he said, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance. A new covenant. That's what this is going to be today. That blood, he says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sins, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So let us ever walk with Jesus and follow his example pure. Flee the world which would deceive us and to sin our soul's allure. Ever in his footsteps treading, body here yet soul above, full of faith and hope and love, let us do the Father's bidding. Savior, abide with me. Savior, lead, I follow thee. Amen. May this peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.